Hello and welcome to Switzer Investing. I'm Peter Switzer. Thanks for joining me. On tonight's program, I've secured another wonderful interview with Rudy Philippek van Dijk of FN Arena. And Rudy and I look at the, uh, the outlook for inflation, interest rates, recession, and actually is it the right time to invest. And I get him to reveal his favourite stocks right now, and particularly the tech stocks he thinks are going to do really well. Still likes Zero, he likes IDP's occasion, another company called Ordinate, and of course Technology and One. But there's a whole lot of interesting companies he's got a great um, point of view on. Then I've got Tom Panos. Now he's from realestategym.com. And uh, he's a guy who actually, he's a doctor, the dot com dot au. Real, uh, real estate. Yeah, can you check it out? Because you can flick his picture up, can't you, on that break? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's dot com dot Yeah, okay. And then I've got a really interesting guy, Tom Panos from realestategym.com.au. Now, this is the guy who actually did the auction. He's an auctioneer as well as a, uh, a columnist for the News uh, Limited uh, organisation. And he did the auction on the block, that controversial one where the, the figure that was bidded over 5.5 million was way over what everybody else got. Tom explains what that controversy was all about. And then he takes a bit of a shot at the statisticians out there who are saying that house prices in Sydney and Melbourne have only fallen by 7 or 5%. He reckons it's a lot bigger, but he tells you the kinds of houses and properties that are actually getting more than what they got when the boom was on. Very interesting insight into the property sector right now. And then Paul Rickard from the Switzer Report looks at the, the big question, is it the right time to invest in big tech? He and I actually battle it out and talk, talk it through and look at some of the big companies in the US in particular who've been clobbered and how you might invest in them if you want to have a crack going forward. That's the show. Let's kick off now with Rudy Philippek van Dyke, the founder of FN Arena. Well, joining us now to give us an understanding of what's actually going on in the real estate markets around the country is News Corp columnist and the founder of jimrealestate.com.au, Tom Panos. Tom, how are you going? Good, Peter. It's realestategym.com.au, but it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. <laughs> okay, fair enough. A correction is always good. I don't mind being corrected. Now, Tom... Um, I want to talk to you about what's going on in the market, but there's some really big controversy uh, coming out of the block um, uh, on the weekend, uh, the, final, the final episode of the series, and you were actually the auctioneer uh, of the, the one that took out the highest price. But there's a whole lot of controversy talking about dummy bids and all that sort of stuff. So what's your take from the coalface on what happened on the block? Well, well firstly, Peter, if it, if it was a dummy bid, it had to be the dumbest of dummy bid in the history of real estate on Prime TV hmm. with consumer affairs being present uh, there. Um, and um, just to, you know, for, for, the, for the viewers there to get an understanding of how it all works, there's a reserve price. And when a property exceeds that reserve price, it's on the market and has to be sold. 
The reserve price was four million and eighty. I was over the reserve price as the auctioneer within thirty seconds of the auction. So the first, so bid, the first bid, the first bid went over the reserve. Uh, no, the first bid I rejected, right. which was three seven three eight, and you could probably say it was the second bid. Okay, right. Now, 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 so what did it end up selling for? Five million six hundred and sixty-six thousand and sixty-six cents. Okay, to, to be precise. Now, the other, the other properties. What did they sell for on average? One sold for four two fifty, roughly. One sold for four one, and the other two are still in negotiations is my understanding at the moment okay they haven't sold from your very vast experience was the one that got this unbelievably high price compared to the others was it a much better property yes it was not 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 one and a half millions better not one and a half million better okay Uh, so so the difference was that the one that won was had no no other properties looking into it, whereas all the other four were looking into each other. Okay. This one had uninterrupted views, okay. and if you're going to be buying a property in the country, you want to have privacy. And I think that was the biggest issue. The second issue is tennis court, basketball court, and a golf putting green. Okay. So I was very pleasantly surprised when I found out that the the valuer had valued them all the same when they were um, setting the reserve price. They all had the same reserves. And at that point, I knew that this property had the best chance of winning. Okay. Now, the the person who who won the auction, he's quite a well-known participant in the block, isn't he? Yeah. He buys, he's always seems to buy two or three every season. Hmm. Um, His name is uh, Danny. and uh, he's quite famous. He's quite famous because not only is he a successful bidder, but Peter, he buys properties with uh, very peculiar numbers, like the number I said, five, six, 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 six. And he bids in peculiar numbers. And is he famous for then flipping them, buying them on the block, getting a whole lot of publicity and then flipping them or does he keep them? No, he's a very generous man. He's a, a very successful tech entrepreneur that uh, got a lot of money for uh, a business that he sold. And uh, my understanding, Peter, is that he actually donates them to charity. Hmm. It seems like an extraordinary story. Well, 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 what is the big controversy then? Uh, Clearly, because he's involved in, you know, charitable works. um, Was there anyone else bidding against him, pushing the price up to 5.5666, whatever it was? Yeah, there was three. There was three. There was three people okay. um, that were bidding. One was being represented by a buyer's agent okay. uh, who wanted to remain um, confidential. Okay. The person, the person that pushed up um, Danny to that level, the heated bidding, was a gentleman by the name of Adrian Portelli, mm-hmm. who's got a very interesting business model. He's on um, social media, and what he does, Peter, is he buys houses and luxurious cars. His business model is he sells raffle tickets and then what he does is he makes a profit because the raffle tickets exceed the cost of the item. Huh. 
Okay. And um, that's what he does for a living. If anyone wants to go online and, and see him. So the controversy, the controversy is, um, hey, you know, like this guy here rocked up in a yellow Lamborghini. Uh, but Peter, as you know, you know, once you're over reserve, the mm. hammer falls, you've got to buy that property, you know? Mm. Yeah. Um, so he, he, he was, listen, they probably don't, well, they probably agree. Both buyers are not your typical real estate buyers no. that go and buy property on a weekend in Sydney or Melbourne or wherever. These people wanted media attention. Yeah. They wanted to promote their name. They wanted to promote their brand. And there was nothing more exciting than when I actually said during the auction, it looks like we have the changing of the guard. We have a new main man. That new main man is Adrian Portelli. And that then sparked off a bidding frenzy. Yeah. Did Portelli win or did he run second to... He ran uh, second. Yeah. He so, ran and, second. And, and, okay. So, so they're all... Both these two guys are quite known to the block. Oh, well, one more than the other. Yeah. Um, Adrian Portelli is now uh, very well known because the block's been a fantastic marketing exercise, which he which he wanted it to. He's, look, he's disappointed because he thought to himself he was going to secure this property for $5 million and had big plans on how he was going to use the marketing exercise. Mm -hmm. But even those people, Peter, everyone's got a limit. But I've got to say to you, Peter, and this is a good topic for us to talk about for the rest of our interview, this is indicative of what's happening in real estate. What's actually happening is there are some properties in the market that are not only getting the prices they were getting prior to we've had this correction, but they're actually exceeding it. And yeah. the reason why is great properties are getting a lot of attention, particularly ones that don't need any renovation and they are just executely brilliantly um, produced with great architects. And then you've got the rest of the properties, anything that's a B grade, something that's not right about it, they're getting punished. Yeah. So you're saying that, okay, the overall market is going down. And I'll ask you about what you think the overall market is going down by in a moment. But what you're saying is that if you've got a unique property, there's obviously a, 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 at least a small number of very serious buyers who will push the price way over what was prevailing during the mad, crazy time when all prices were going through the roof. Absolutely. And Peter, the most significant factor that's going to um, be the differential on why something sells incredibly well is the quality of the renovation. And the reason why is the average buyer is quite savvy now. They're not interested in fixer-uppers anymore. Mm. They're not looking to do a renovation themselves. They know building materials due to inflation are through the roof. They know that builders' labouring hourly rate has gone through the roof. They know how difficult it is to do a renovation. So now we're moving back to a marketplace that says, give me something beautiful that I don't have to do anything at all. Okay. All right, let's move to your take. You, you and I talked before this interview and I was saying that, well, you know, um, over the last six months since interest rates have been on the rise, uh, Sydney house prices were down about, you know, six or seven percent, Melbourne a bit less. You think it's actually bigger than that, don't you? Yeah, Peter, I think that there are certain properties like the ones we've just been talking about that haven't gone down and have gone up but let's talk about the rest of the market. If you speak to real estate agents, 
that are selling a lot of properties so they've got a good sample size to make an informed decision, here's what they're saying. Sydney, 10 to 15% down versus the start of this year. Melbourne, 10 to 15% down versus the start of this year. Um, Brisbane, we're now at about 10% and that's accelerating in the last month or so. Don't forget, they started to go up slower and they've started to go down slower versus Sydney and Melbourne. Adelaide continues to be a market that has held okay, but we're beginning to see early signs. Longer days on market, clearance rates dropping a bit, and we know that the next step is that property prices will actually decline. Perth is the standout market. After over a decade of very little capital growth, Perth is the market that has held very strong. And Hobart, Hobart that had been a great real estate market uh, for the last three years, one of the biggest capital growth since COVID mm. started, is now starting to see decent declines, probably 10%. Okay. So um, do, do you think then that the Reserve Bank may well be misled by the numbers out there that suggest that the falls are, are a lot less than what you're saying? Yeah, and the reason why, Peter, is you know how data works, averages works, medians work. If you've got properties at the high end, like the 15, $20 million properties that have had no declines, and you throw those properties into the mix with all the other properties, what actually happens is it softens in the numbers the decline. Mm. So um, that's probably why we're reading in the press that um, these are drops of less than 10%. But yeah. you also need to understand, Peter, you understand whenever data is provided, there's a lag between the event and the report, right? Yeah. At, as an auctioneer, you're at the coalface, you're there and then seeing it, you see the transaction happen in that moment, there and there. So I think there's lagging data that uh, the Reserve Bank's using. Yeah, and the same thing happens with inflation. I think they're going to get one big drop in inflation in the not too distant future, and they'll probably say that's enough for interest rate rises. Tom, thanks for joining us, mate. Talk to you in a month's time. Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks for joining us, Rudy. Oh, I happened to be in the neighbourhood, Peter, and I thought, like, well, why not? Yeah, when you're on the internet, you're in any neighbourhood you like. That is true. Provided <laughs> they give you entry. Um, let's just talk about uh, the internet, because when you and I wake up tomorrow morning, we'll go straight to the internet to see what the inflation number uh, was in the US. Mm. If, it's, if it's better than expected, and, and I know I, we, we, I was talking to Diana Messina from uh, AMP earlier this week, and she said, eventually there will be a surprise uh, drop in inflation. Uh, yes. And, yes. And so if it's not this month, it may well be December, or it could be even a bit later. But the bottom line is, when it does drop, Rudy, do you expect the market to take off pretty soundly? Um, I'm not sure about the pretty soundly part. Um, but I do think that the market, the market 
at this particular point in time is definitely in a mood to to take the positives for positive mm. and we've we've seen that recently uh ranging from uh speculation that the the chinese authorities might might change their uh, COVID policies yep. to um, negotiations apparently uh taking place in in behind the curtains between uh, the united states and 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 putin in russia uh, to uh, speculation that there might be a, a, a big shift towards the Republicans in the midterm elections. Um, no doubt um, the fact that the Federal Reserve at one stage, and they will at one stage, will uh, go slower on the tightening. Um, all those will be taken as a positive. The, uh, um, I, I totally agree with your view. If it's not happening this week or next month or the month afterwards, I still remain of the of the belief as well that at some point uh, inflation will peak. It will it will come down. Um, we would all hope that it will come down quite quickly. Um, although uh, general skepticism has grown uh, into that one, but it doesn't. I don't think it matters. I think. If we if we simply take guidance from history and we we for the time being we exclude the the op, the, the, the option because there's always a possibility that um, inflation will remain much higher for much longer, but if we if we go for the for the odds and the odds are basically in favor of at one stage the inflation will peak it will come down, central bankers will feel more relaxed about it it will be taken as a positive by the markets. Yeah, and, and I, I'm I think it's a good point you make about this, the, a sound takeoff, because it seems I've been saying to people, well, the first month, the market will like it, but they'll look to the next month. If they get two months in a row, then I think we might see a, a pretty sound uh, rally developing, because they'll believe that the worst of it is over. And I would also throw in, Rudy, I know you're a bit younger than me, uh, your hairline shows that, but this is the most aggressive response to inflation I've seen from central banks in all the years of my commentary. Peter, um, even if even if I, I was wearing a, a long grey beard and I would claim that I would be older than you, I would completely back up that statement. Uh, I don't Shut think up, we've, Rudy. I, Answer the I question think... and stop <laughs> insulting you so and so. Get to the point. <laughs> I, I don't think we've ever seen a central bank uh, being this aggressive, uh, not in 1994 and, and not, not in the early 80s, yeah. uh, not on a relative basis, I have to say. Yeah. In absolute numbers, yes, but we are coming from, from zero interest rates. We shouldn't forget that. Yeah. Having said so, um, we do have another problem. Um, and, and, and yes, what is happening in, in central banks, inflation, um, that is probably going to be taken as a positive. We do still have the problem that we probably will have economic contraction mm. uh, in, in various regions around the world. In Australia, we're facing a um, significant slowdown, probably not a recession. And, and, and the local bond market is, is indicating as such as well. And the government is not expecting it. And the Reserve Bank is not expecting it. Uh, but nevertheless, we will have an economic slowdown. And, and what we're seeing at the moment is um, if, if, you if you happen to have companies in your portfolio that update the market, um, the, the bias seems to be towards a disappointment. Mm. And, and most companies that, uh, that update the market now with either financials or with their forecasts 
or the trading update, they, they see the share price weakening. And I think that is the offset of the positives. That is the challenge that, that uh, markets will face, I think, in, in, into the first half of next year. Yeah. Yeah. And I think uh, that there are a lot of there are a lot of negatives to make the first half less exciting than I thought when I believed that inflation might fall a little bit earlier than it, than it has. And I think the market expected a, a better uh, response from Jerome Powell last time he, he spoke after uh, raising interest rates. And they were a bit shocked. And I think there has been a pushing out of optimism as a consequence of that. But as you know, Rudy, central bankers can be wrong as well. You know, they can talk tough today and they say, oops, we've gone too far. It's time that we pause significantly. I wouldn't mind seeing that, i got to say. Oh, Peter, we, 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 uh, <clears throat> if, I, if I'm a little bit facetious in this one, we, we, we see that all the time. Yeah. Um, if you go through history, um, when, when central bankers go on a tightening course like uh, they are today, mm. uh, the odds are that they, are, they will go too far. Mm. And, and the, problem with, the problem is that um, their policies work at a significant delay and there are constant uh, moving parts and, and different circumstances. I think for the time being, and, and that's very logical, is that as long as inflation keeps on going up, they will feel obliged to, to go keep on to keep on tightening. Mm. I mean, that is, I mean, they can't be seen that they go soft on inflation while that is being declared enemy number one. And while it's rising, they can't actually, they, they, it's no way that they can, they can pause or start uh, loosening when inflation is still going up. I mean, that, that's, that's still simply not going to happen. I, I guess uh, central bankers would be praying for an end of the Ukraine war uh, and the end of zero COVID policies to try and get the cost inflations mm. down as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a combination of many things, but I can tell you one thing, and, and, and you would agree with that one, their, their biggest fear is that uh, inflation expectations are becoming embedded in, in people's mindset. Yeah. And that's absolutely what they want to want to prevent from happening because then the task becomes a lot harder. Well, without doubt. Okay, so we've set the scene of what, what possibly lies ahead. And given our history, it's probably with nearly nearly 100% accuracy. So we don't have to challenge those, those observations or those proje uh, projections. Um, investing now, what, mm. what, what, are, what are you doing in your investments? Are you holding fire, waiting to see the inflation number, or are you courageously taking a position for when inflation falls? It's a combination of uh, all of the above, Peter. Okay. Um, I, I still think that we, we should, all, all of us, we should remain still a little bit cautious in the bigger scheme of things, because uh, just as a few examples, um, zero today updated the market, share price down 10%. Um, uh, a few days ago, uh, Sims updated the market, uh, share price got absolutely globbed. Um, before that, we had James Hardy update the market, share price down 14%. Um, of course, there are a few other examples. Orica went, went well, but even, even the banks went down upon reporting uh, recently. Uh, Westpac was only 5% or so, but still, it's, it's, that's, that's your annual dividend there in one day. Um, 
so that's the danger that I, and I think we, we will we will have more of that leading into February. But on the other end, we have uh, substantial parts of the market that have been held back by bond yields and and by currency movements. And I've recently, for example, I've um, uh, from memory now, I remember last time we were, I was interviewed by you, I, I spoke about a, a particular um, ETF, uh, the Vanguard uh, property funds uh, REIT uh, in Australia. I've actually bought that one hmm. as a as a, a a contrary to the fact that uh, bond yields will at some point will will uh, will peak, hmm. and then uh, the REITs will will have a relief uh, movement upwards, hmm. and that's basically free money on top of the the five percent plus yeah. in in dividend yield that's coming towards you. What, what's um, the, what's it, the ticket code for that one, Rudy? I think it's VAP. P or VAR, one of the, I think it's VAP, if it's not the P, it's the R. All right. Um, but, but this is the Vanguard uh, ASX 300 uh, property and REITs ETF, I think it's, okay. it's, it's something wrong. So we discussed it in a, in a previous yeah, uh, interview. Yeah, so I remember, uh, but yeah. what's the, what's the, the, the weight, do you know the weighting to office in that, that REIT? Because no, but I know it, it, it contains 31 uh, REITs uh, listed on the ASX right. and it pretty much has all the, uh, all the household names you can think of, including some of the developers like, like uh, uh, Murvec and, and, and uh, Stockland. Hmm. But it would, have, it would have Charter Hall and, and the Charter Hall, uh, all, the, all the offshoots. Yeah. It would have Goodman Group, it would have uh, Waypoint REIT, it, it would have Abacus, uh, national storage, uh, you name it. Yeah. Okay. Everything that's a read or the, or a property development, uh, property developers in there and the 31 of them. So it's, it's the largest holding is, um, Goodman group and the second largest for memory is center group. Okay. And, and it pretty much, because you have 31, it, it pretty much becomes uh, broadly, broadly spread out. Yeah. Very diversified. Now yes. let, let's go back to a, a, a stock you mentioned. And uh, unlike you, my memory of me, as compared mm -hmm. to my memory of you, is not as good. But I've got a sneaking suspicion that historically you've been a fan of zero. Is that? Oh, yeah, still yeah. am. So, still so am I. And I was going to ask you a question. Yeah. Do you think it's a buying opportunity for the, you know, for the patient investor? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, um, as, as, as you and your viewers would know, I mean, uh, what we do at FN Arena is we we pay close attention to what to what stockbrokers do uh, in their ratings, and um, I can't help but noticing that uh, also beyond zero, um, stockbrokers are increasingly trying to look beyond the, the next six months or so, and and they're trying to find all those solid long-term, very good-looking business models mm. that in the short term might still encounter. Uh, downside. Well, we saw that, for example, with, with zero today. But th there's very little doubt around, uh, either in my mind or in, in most analysts, if not all of them, who, who cover that company, that uh, th the future is still very bright. Mm -hmm. It's just for the time being, you don't see that in in their market updates and you don't see that in the share price. Yeah. But yes, for, for, for investors who can look beyond the, the, the short-term tribulations in the share price, um, I have very little doubt that uh, that zero will still uh, grow into one of those um, uh, long-term va value creation uh, shareholder-friendly uh, 
yeah. uh, global expansionist uh, models. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very cranky because I wanted to sell zero yesterday in a portfolio outside my super so I could mm. buy it inside my super because I, I'm mm. with you. I think it's going to be a, a, a great stock over the next four or five years. I, I, I want to make sure my capital gain is tax free. But of course, that could change with what the Labor Party is thinking about at the moment. But that's exactly why I, I, I thought that Zero was a, a company I want to hold in the future. I think there will be capital gain, and of course, the superannuation is more more charitable when it comes to capital gain than uh, outside the the, um, the the super fund. Um, okay, on that subject, then um, I've been telling a lot of our viewers that one well, of my uh, favourite plays for 2023 <coughs> is going to be I want to buy the US stock market and I want to buy it with a hedge because I believe when the US stock market takes off and the tech companies get re-loved, the Aussie dollars historically has gone up at the same time. So I want to, I want to position myself to maybe make a nice big gain out of the US stock market but not have the problem of my currency rising. What do you think of that strategy? Yes, I can see the logic, but um, I can also see the other logic where um, the US market underperforms the Australian market next year. Mm. And, and, and where also the currency weakens as well. So you get basically, you get sort of a double whammy. Um, we should never underestimate the, the importance of momentum and, and, and market sentiment. And, and I've, I've seen it now a couple of times and I've written about it myself. I personally, I can see how the US market at the index level uh, will underperform next year and where Australia might prove to be one of the better performers next year. Mm. And that's maybe that's also because maybe big tech has, has, has a few more um, Mm, corrections to go through. Um, recession, one, one, there's a couple of differences here. One is that the Reserve Bank locally uh, is not uh, tightening as aggressively as the US over there, and uh, as the Federal Reserve over there. And of course, the other thing is, is that they will almost by definition have a recession, and, and Australia will, will merely experience a, a significant growth slowdown, which is not quite the same. Yeah. And, and um, for that reason, it, very all things being equal, it is well possible that we, we, we see outperformance in Australia next year mm. and, and not in the United States. It's sort of like a little bit of payback from the fact that they outperformed previously and they had a lot more central bank stimulus going on there. Mm. Um, so maybe for the, for, for the year ahead, maybe for the, for the 16 or 18 months ahead, um, going international might actually imply that you are uh, reducing your, your returns. But again, I mean, that's one forecast. Um, I can see I mean, how that forecast could be proven wrong as well. You never yeah. know what the Fed is up to when there's a recession happening yeah. over there. <laughs> and, and you, that's right. Well, as you make the point, that if the US does go into recession, the, RBI, the uh, Federal Reserve will probably start cutting interest rates at a time when we're, because we're doing well, we'll probably not cut interest rates and our currency could go up, so the hedging uh, process. But I think you're right. There's still probably another year's worth of you know, um, growth, uh, cyclical stocks doing well if, if and when the world economy starts to improve. If China comes back and starts playing ball again, you know, if the Ukraine war ends, all those sort of things could be 
great for our commodities and great for our market as well. But there, this, is the, this is the climbing the wall of worry, isn't it, Rudy? It's, it's also, Peter, you, you, you've been there. That, yes, of course, and that's what markets do best. But there's also a, I think we, we always have to observe the fact that sometimes things are different from the past. And I think the specter hanging over 2023 is that maybe we see uh, economies deteriorate and central bankers not participating in the stimulus next year mm. for the simple reason that in their view inflation remains too high for the time being yeah possibly. and 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 I, I i've seen quite some forecasts and i think they're, they're in that context they're quite credible mm. that maybe next year central bankers will uh, let the economy uh, deteriorate uh, which they otherwise wouldn't do for the simple reason that they are more focused on on making sure that inflation doesn't pick up again and I've seen quite some forecasts that the Federal Reserve will only start uh, stimulating the economy again through lower interest rates yeah. in, in 2024, yeah. which basically means we're skipping next year. And that's why next year might, might become a little of a different year from, uh, from yeah. history. Yeah, I, I guess that the more severe US recession, the quicker they cut rates. But if it's only mm. a mild recession and inflation is still high, you're right, they won't cross it. Now, before I ask this next question, I'm going to tell you what part of the answer I'm not going to let you say. And I'm going to do that by saying, don't tell me that Warren Buffett said, if, if history is all you need to know, librarians would be the richest people in the world. Don't say anything like that. The history also shows, uh, Rudy, that the third year of a US presidency is mm. generally good for the US stock market. And it's, it's been mm. fairly reliable. What are you going to say about that in terms of, your, your possible yeah, yeah. anti-view on US stocks next yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. well, my, my offset to that is that um, you always have to look into the broader context and there's always more to it. Than, and I would be very surprised if in history it would have happened a lot of times, if ever, that the US economy would be in a recession while inflation might potentially be too high mm. and the central bank yeah. would not help the economy. Yeah. And that would be my offset to yeah. any uh, joy coming forth yeah. from from uh, from the midterm elections yeah. uh, happening this week. Yeah, it's probably worthwhile going back and looking at what happened in those third year of a US presidency mm. uh, during stagflation of the 70s. It'd be interesting to see mm. how the market mm. responded. And I know you yes. probably know the answer, but you will pretend that you'll go and look it up, but you actually know. But I won't, I won't put you <laughs> on the spot, really. All right. People watching you now would love to know what is your latest good idea? You, know, you see a lot of stocks, you look mm. at a lot of companies. What's the, the, the latest good idea that maybe you've invested in mm. or you're keeping an eye on it uh, for the yeah. right opportunity? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that in, in, two, in two windows. One of them is, and I've, I've had this view now for, for quite a while, but I, 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 even, I think this is even more important now. I think irrespectively of... Uh, growth, quality, or uh, value, uh, or cyclicals, it doesn't matter, I think. I think the focus should now be on how is your company going to work through a, if not a, a big slowdown in economic growth in Australia or recessions elsewhere. And for example, we, we, we mentioned zero earlier. For this reason, I, I sold zero a number of months ago. Uh, I got seriously worried about the UK, for example. Yeah. Um, I mean, the shenanigans going on there. And, the, and there's only so much that a company, no matter how good its quality or its growth profile, can do about the broader context. 
And I think, um, and, and investors can draw lessons from, from market updates. I mean, for example, I mean, at the likes of MCOR and, and CSL have recently updated the market. They are very solid businesses. The only negatives they had to report to shareholders is the currency is working in, into their, to, to, not in their, to their benefit. Well, that's something they really can't do anything about, but all the rest was really working well. On the opposite side, when you get, when you get a Sims or, or, or a James Hardy, you have to, you have to simply uh, uh, acknowledge that there are factors working and, and management can only do that much. And the fact that they have issued a profit warning doesn't mean it, there can't be another profit warning. Yeah. James Hardy now has issued two for the, for the running financial year. Uh, all bad things comes in three, for example. Yeah. Now, having said so, and, and 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 I do remember that last time we spoke, I, I did um, uh, point out the REITs, and I also mentioned the the gold producers as well. And 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 gold has for a very long time now, about more than a year now, hasn't performed, and that's because of the bond market. And I do think that there are still opportunities um, amongst those sectors in the market, amongst those stocks that have been held back simply because of bond yields. Mm. And, and, and REITs and, and, and gold producers are, are two of the most obvious ones. There is a warning here. It doesn't mean that every single REIT or every single gold producer is, is a screaming buy here. Uh, but it does mean that from the moment bond yields have peaked and they might actually retrace because they start focusing on, on the on the recession on the recession, that those sectors will get a free bonus basically and they might they might rally quite 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 sharply depending on whatever what else happens because um, as investors, uh, I believe when we get into January and February, we will get increasingly more worried about uh, what are they, those results going to look like. Mm. Okay. So, so if you had to nominate, because good point, you, you might get the gold price right, but pick the wrong company. Now, whenever, yes. I, whenever I've played gold, I don't always play gold, and I think your analysis is probably um, good. Um, I like Northern Star. I've always liked mm. it as a, like, it's like a, a reliable company in a sector that can be very unreliable. Do you still, do you, do you support that view? Yes, um, but I also noticed, for example, that um, uh, Morgan Stanley this week issued a, a very positive report on, on the gold sector. Yeah. And they actually downgraded Northern Star for the simple reason that it, it had already performed yeah. uh, pretty well. Yeah. And that's obviously the dynamic you have to, and then all of a sudden, uh, gold producers like Evolution Mining and Newcrest have become, for the time being, uh, become a more attractive proposition. And you would have noticed this week they have they have performed much better than. But then again, I also saw uh, a couple of gold producers that I personally wouldn't go anywhere near, mm -hmm. and those share prices rallied hard as well. And that's I think that's where the challenge comes as an investor. Yeah. Traders that buy it on the day, they don't care. Yeah. But if you're in it for the longer term, you should care and you should be able, uh, hopefully, yeah. to avoid those ones that just go up on a single day and then later on uh, go back again. Well, you and I have been to a few mining conferences in our time. And every time I go to those, I always think of what Mark Twain said, that a miner was a, a liar standing outside a hole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one last thing. Uh, let's talk about the tech recovery. You, you kind of hinted at it, mm. um, and you're kind of saying, 
well, that, that tech re, re, uh, uh, rebound may well be longer than we expect. Um, a, is, is that right? And secondly, when it does happen, will it be the, the quality performers? I, I actually mentioned this in a, on the Boom Doom Zoom web, webinar today that you, you notice that after a severe recession, on the bounce back, it's quality companies, often top 20 companies, that get bought first because people like, they've been smashed and, and, and so they're often bought first and then smaller and medium-sized companies take over later on in the cycle. Would you go back and say that the quality names, both in the US and Australia, even though the US ones have been beaten up recently, when tech is reloved, um, like for example, Atlassian's down something like 75%. Yes, re regarded as a great company. I, I figure, and Microsoft is down as a great company. If we, if we t use that analysis, if you agree with that analysis, what are the, say, the top three or four Aussie tech companies that you think would be the first ones bought? It's not an easy question, but I want you mm. to be 100% right, really, okay? And we okay. will remember it and bring it back if ever you're wrong. <laughs> Okay, well, we can do that. Uh, okay. First of all, first of all, I do think that the, the highest quality tech we have in Australia has already uh, significantly outperformed. And you can see that from share prices from the likes of Technology One, WiseTech Global, for example, they've, they've done really, really well. Um, the second thing is that um, often I think uh, technology is, is, is too narrowly uh, defined in, in people's minds. I mean, I personally, I own car sales, I own um, not REA at the moment, but mm. uh, not Seek, but they are technology. I own yep. ResMed, for example, mm. that is technology. Um, you can argue even that, that there's a few other companies that would be applying. So my, my definition is, is wider anyway. And and I, I'm convinced that, for example, a ResMed will, will at some stage will, 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 will perform again. Uh, and probably when the recession arrives, I, I would say, just like uh, alongside a CSL, for example. Mm. But if, if you look a little bit broader at the technology sector that, that, that hasn't genuinely performed so far, or not anymore, I think there's there's some gems in Australia. Zero will be one of them, but you you um, we, we will probably have to see a step stabilization in, in the US for, for that share price to stabilize as well and to pick up again. But we also have a company called uh, Alternate Group, AD8. Mm. Uh, it's not profitable, it's relatively small, but it, 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 it has done really, really, it has performed really, really well operationally. Mm. And they seem to be uh, within, the, within the framework that is in, in their, in their realm, realm of control, mm. they seem to be doing really, really well. And this could be one of them that, that becomes an, an international uh, success story. Yeah. One of the companies I own and that also has performed really, really well uh, throughout this year is IDP Education. And, and yes, officially, there's probably a label on that is different from technology, but this is essentially a technology company. Um, and I think that future is looking um, increasingly um, very solid, very, very good. Yeah. To add to that, recently UBS uh, selected uh, the 10 stocks for the next decade. Yeah. And uh, included in that selection were WiseTech Global and IDP Education. Yeah. And, and that obviously, uh, given that those two in the technology sector are on my radar as well, and I own IDP, um, I obviously thought like, oh, that's a good one. Right? I'll, uh, I'll, I'll carry that one around. 
Yeah, good stuff. Really, as always, thanks for joining us, mate. Talk to you in a month's time. And today we want to look at a very, very important question for investors. Is it time to invest in big tech? Paul, take it away. Well, I guess, Peter, look, that depends uh, a little bit as to where you think the market's going to head. But there's no doubt that the big technology companies in the United States have been really badly beaten up this year. Yeah. Let's have a look at how some of them have done. Um, and these, these are profitable companies. These aren't sort great of companies. great companies. So let's start with Microsoft. You can see that uh, it's come off almost uh, 50% over the course of the last uh, 12 months. By and large, a one-way train. Uh, looks still very popular with the brokers. These are based on all the brokers, the analyst brokers. Uh, most brokers have either got a buy or a strong buy on the stock uh, and a much higher target price than the current price. So mm. Amazon, sorry, Microsoft around about 230 US dollars. Their consensus forecasts about 302 dollars. Uh, upside to consensus, 32.5%. And if you look at the range, Peter, the highest broker's at $411. So uh, the brokers see a lot of upside, and that's Microsoft, of course, uh, uh, you know, right up there. Another very profitable uh, tech company, not just a bookseller, but now more a tech company these days, is is, is Amazon, particularly out of its uh, cloud-based computing. That's the story in Amazon. It's done it even harder than uh, Microsoft. Again, the brokers are very positive in terms of recommendations. See even more upside of around about 50, almost 58% between the current price and the consensus 12-month uh, target price. And finally, the, uh, the biggest of them all, of course, is, is Apple. Uh, not done as badly, uh, mm. and I guess, but it had a funny, it's a different sort of picture when you look at over 12 months. Yeah. We've seen it a couple of times it's bottomed out. In fact, it's higher now. Uh, than where it was in June, whereas the others are still considerably lower than they were. They and it's were had a Chinese supply problem as well, hasn't it? Yeah, a recent sort of supply problem that's causing it. But, uh, you know, it, it's still pretty popular. But mm. uh, that said, it's still down over 12 months. Again, uh, the brokers are pretty positive. There's a few people not as positive uh, in terms of the reduced side, but... Uh, the sellers are still zero in all those companies. They're still, yeah. sellers still zero. Yeah. Uh, consensus to forecast about 30% upside. So uh, a target price of, of uh, $180 compared to a current price of around about $140. Yeah. Let's bring it close to a home, and they're the, they're the big tech companies, but an Aussie, uh, what was an Aussie darling, uh, an Aussie and tech story. it is listed, story, on, the, it the listed on the NASDAQ. at Lassen under the, uh, you know, the, the acronym of TEAM, that's actually its code on the NASDAQ. Of course, that's owned by, uh, or may, majority owned by the two Australian billionaires in, mm. uh, in, in Scott Farker and um, Mike Cannon-Brooks. That's down, almost lost about 75% over the course of the last 12 months, Peter, mm. from, from over 450 US dollars down to around about 120 uh, US dollars. And do you so think there's anything wrong with the company or this is just a, a, a tech uh, rejection of a tech company? Look, nothing's fundamentally changed in the company, mm. Peter. Look, it may have disappointed. And of course, I think <clears throat> like a lot of tech companies, there are some challenges with, with earnings going forward. If the economy slows, uh, their clients, who are largely businesses, are going to be a little more circumspect on, yeah. on, on how, how they use the software. Mm. So it makes you know, growing earnings more challenging. But uh, look, it's just a re-rating of, of the market. And mm. if you look at this, um, still the market's pretty positive in terms of, of buys. No, no 
no cells to speak of. And no reducers as either, so they're really supporting it, aren't they? Uh, and a consensus forecast of $228 versus a current price around 120 Now, that's about a 91% potential upside yeah. uh, if the consensus is right. Now, these are target prices, so let's put it be, be a bit more circumspect, but yeah. it does tell you the market thinks this stock is, is, is really cheap. So, yeah. look, if those three big ones in uh, Apple, Amazon and Microsoft all been hit pretty hard this year. Yeah. Uh, and, and then lo- closer to home, another company listed on this okay. on, on NASDAQ, of course, is, is Alassim, which uh, yeah. I think offers some interesting opportunities. Now, a lot of people are insecure about buying individual companies you know, in the US or Europe, but there are exchange-traded funds can give people an easy access to these sorts of companies. Well, uh, there are some uh, locally listed exchange-traded funds. I guess that the, the most obvious, Peter, is NDQ from BetaShares. That tracks the NASDAQ 100. Uh, and all, but there's also the best a hundred NASDAQ companies. Yeah, the, the top hundred. There's mm. also a hedged version of the same product. When I say hedged, that's currency hedge, hedge mm. version. Uh, that's HNDQ, which is slightly more expensive. It is important, despite what we say about the NASDAQ, it is more than tech. Mm. Uh, and this is a list of the top 10 components of, uh, of the NASDAQ. Mm. And you can see the first eight are all tech companies, but then coming in ninth place is PepsiCo and mm. Costco. Uh, you've also got a lot of uh, biotech companies. So while it is technology uh, bias and it's very heavy technology, yeah. uh, it is more than tech. So it's not a, the same sort of pure play approach you get. Yeah. If you think tech is the most undervalued part of the market and when the US market recovers and they get inflation under control, tech is going to rally the hardest, then exposure through uh, in stocks like NDQ isn't going to give you quite the same level. No. Uh, of, of level. But the thing is, is because there are other companies like Starbucks in there, it kind of gives you a little bit more diversification of companies, big companies in the S&P 500, which are also in the NASDAQ as well. Yeah, and a third ETF is, is what's called FANG+. Plus. It's from uh, Global X. It trades under the acronym of FANG. That has 10 tech companies, uh, Netflix, NVIDIA, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, uh, Alibaba, Amazon, Baidu, Tesla, and Meta Platform. So a slightly broader group. Also, obviously, Alibaba and uh, Baidu are sort of facing the Chinese market. So yeah. uh, you get a bit more uh, broader perspective. But, you know, again, uh, under a lot of pressure this year because of what's happened with tech, not just in China, not in the US, but Chinese so-called tech companies have also been under huge pressure. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's been a poor performer. But if you think that the tech change is happening, yeah. uh, another way to play... Uh, potentially a rally back in tech if when inflation gets under control. Yeah. So my, my view, Paul, is um, I, I think tech will eventually come back. I don't know when it will, will come. If you're a risk player, you might go for HNDQ on the basis that currency, Australian dollar is likely to rise when tech starts to rebound because it'd be a, mm-hmm. a much stronger attitude towards the growth of the global economy. Um, but if you're going to go into it, the question is if you're a thrill seeker, you might buy now, but if you're a more uh, cautious investor, you wait for inflation to drop, then everyone will say tech's on the way back. That might be a, a, a wiser time to go into the market uh, that rather than going too early. Yeah, I mean, I think if you, if you can be, afford to be patient, you've got a portfolio, you can afford to diversify, owning names like uh, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, and maybe even something like an Atlassian in the long term, that'll yeah. be a good play. Yeah. But, you know, if the market is still, inflation goes higher and interest rates go higher, these companies are going to stay under pressure. That's right. So you need to be going to have to be pretty patient uh, in terms of uh, that sort of holding. Yeah, exactly. So, Thanks for joining us.
And that's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us. We're back on Monday, of course. If you want to know more about stocks that you can invest in and you want the analysis from people who really go deeply into these companies, think about signing up for The Switzer Report. Go to switzerreport.com.au. Thanks for joining us. See you on Monday.